Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Six Degrees of Associations. I'm Lucas McCann, your host. With me today, I have Bruce Rosenthal of Bruce Rosenthal Associates and the founder of the Partnership Professional Network. Hey Bruce, how are you? Great, Lucas. Good to be here. Thanks. I'd love to just kind of kick us off, Bruce, by having you tell us a little bit about, you know, what's been happening since we last spoke, which I think it's been a couple of years, um, and things have changed, and you know, give us a lay of the land out there. Sure. I think the big change, uh, somewhat pandemic-related, somewhat not, and, and I found even eight, ten years ago managing a, a partnership program for a large association, um, realizing the company set choices and, and were looking for options, and the the often transactional nature way we manage sponsorships and associations going back many decades, which was mostly around uh, visibility, recognition, logo placements, bigger booths, shout out from the podium. And and I find you know, companies were less and less interested in that years ago. I think companies hung in there years ago because they recognized they, they had some members, maybe some board members as customers, didn't want to drop their sponsorships. And then we got to the pandemic, and associations, obviously through no fault of their own, had to, to cancel their conventions, and, and therefore there wasn't that opportunity for conference sponsorships, which were conferences are really the cornerstone of, of many sponsorship programs. And, and I think what some companies did is they took that as their signal to kind of tiptoe backwards out the door and say, okay, bye, guys, it's been... Uh, <laughs> looking for a way to, to maybe ease out, and this might be it. And at the same time, companies couldn't stop marketing for two years. So they found other avenues, and we all became very used to using Zoom and social media and social media groups and uh, were becoming bigger and bigger. So um, companies latched on to those opportunities, and they created their own lead lists through, through social media, especially LinkedIn, um, and they created their own content, and they created webinars, and um, they they created uh, information on their websites, very robust website, not not a salesy website, um, but educational materials and podcasts and webinars and white papers and case studies. And it also gave members that opportunity in, in the corner of the screen there would be, would you like a demo? Would you like to talk to a salesperson? So uh, folks, could, members could get the education they needed, uh, but they can also make purchasing decisions or learn more about companies' products and services. So I think then we started coming out of the pandemic and associations started to ramp up their conference sponsorship programs again. And what I heard from a lot of associations is companies aren't coming back. And I think that's because those companies were fighting those other opportunities. Um, and competition has become a bigger and bigger factor. So um, yeah. companies, as I said, have their own websites, their own outreach that they can do. I, I do interviews with uh, corporate partners on behalf of clients, confidential interviews, so companies are very candid with me, and they're saying they're going to the for-profit trade publications, they're going to the for-profit webinar producers, the for-profit trade shows, and they're doing outreach that way. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, they're creating their own network. So so my colleague was doing an interview with, with a company, big, well-known company, Fortune 100 company, we'd all recognize the name. And they've created their own network of members of the association. They have 30,000 people in their corporate network Interesting. members. So they, they can't, the company candidly said, we may not see the value in sponsorship unless the association can really provide us with the sort of access to members to provide educational content. Um, and companies do appreciate and value that power of affinity. But if the association has a traditional visibility logo-based 
a sponsorship program, companies are going to say, we've got our own network. We can reach out to them anytime. Um, so the, the competition has become a bigger factor. Associations need to find a way to best that competition. Then companies have choices on where they spend their marketing dollars. I think you just scared a lot of people in our audience all of a sudden by, by thinking these corporations and organizations that are typically sponsored. You're right. They can create their own networks. They can catch their own following on social media. They can push the content all, essentially directly. Um, and so what is the response from the association? How, how does the association maintain its uh, its strong affinity and, and leverage those channels and relationships for sponsorships to be able to provide value? Well, the first thing associations to definitely should do and have the right to do is, is maintain their brand. Um, so as I've said in some of the sessions I've done, there are really three rules of a good sponsorship program. Rule number one, stick with your association's mission. Rule number two, don't do anything that infringes on providing value for members. And rule number three, don't forget rules number one and number two. There you go. So we need to, con any good sponsorship program needs to focus on the needs of members um, and the association's mission. And then leveraging the association's brand and its audiences and its segmented audiences. And associations that are successful in this way are really performing more like a marketing agency than our traditional not-for-profit association. And again, that, that not-for-profit association still has a role, and whether it's in government relations or education, all those still um, have the major role in associations. But how can we leverage the partnerships? Because again, the companies have their networks. They have their outreach. I remember years ago when I managed the corporate partnership program for an association, we pretty much told companies, if you want to reach our members, you need to do it on one of our association's platforms. If you want to teach our members, it's got to be on one of our platforms. Mm -hmm. And now companies are saying, we don't need your association as, as much to either reach or teach because we can do that on our own. So and companies are attracting members. So the company I mentioned earlier would not have been able to create this network of 30,000 people if members of the association weren't interested in participating in it. Companies would not be successful in doing advertorials or podcasts with for-profit platforms if members weren't going there and reading and listening to those. So members are going over there to access the company's content. So how can we bring those companies into the association's tent, create a bigger tent, say it's around content, um, it's again, definitely around the association's mission and the needs of its members. But if we don't create a bigger tent for the companies within the association's purview, the companies will build their own tent and some members will go over there. Right. I, I imagine the company, the, the uh, not-to-be-named Fortune 100 company, uh, if, if it has such a relevance to that industry, it could find its own home under the tent, as you said, right? If, if, the, if the association broadened its pegs to the tent that it's building, uh, there could be a place for membership because seemingly it would want to jump on the bandwagon of advocacy. It would want to um, provide value to the industry in that sense. Wouldn't they... How, how do they how do they sort of, sort of bring them in and do it better together? Well, it's, it's a good point, Lucas. A, a very savvy association CEO I used to work with pointed out what should have been the obvious. The association's members and the sponsors, customers, or clients are the same people. Right. And 
we're coming at it from a slightly different vantage point. The, the association for tax purposes is a not-for-profit and the companies are a for-profit, but they're interested in helping members. And that's whether that's with education or a product. And, you know, companies are not product agnostic either. They're selling toolkits and they're selling conferences and they're selling webinars. And companies might be selling, you know, a consulting service or a product to, uh, or a piece of equipment to help members. But either way, it's to help members. And, and just one other point, on, I think the common interest, I was participating in an association's, uh, they call it a corporate advisory council. It, it consisted mm -hmm. of the association's board right. and their top tier corporate partners. And one of the discussion topics during the day was what are the major factors that are affecting our profession? And I realized as they went around the table and, and the, the board members and the corporate folks each answered that question, if I were blindfolded, I would not have known who was answering the question. Huh. Because when they talked about the challenges to the profession, these were, these were uh, the medical association, um, the challenges they pointed out were the same around uh, cost expense reimbursement, around quality of care for patients. They had the same issues, the same concerns. And as they talked about those those issues, they said, well, wow, how could we partner? How could we work together to either help members meet this challenge or to go together to the uh, insurance companies that are funding the medical care? How could we work together? There is this common interest. Um, so, But I, I think what we need to know from those types of forums and from exploratory calls one-on-one -on -one with corporate partners, what are their business objectives? What are their marketing right. goals? And then of all the things the association has to offer in addition to its brand and the value of the brand affinity, what are all, again, thinking about the association like a marketing powerhouse, a marketing agency, what are all the things the association could offer? So a platform on its website, uh, uh, focus groups or roundtables with members, uh, speaking opportunities on education topics. So I think that's part of the, the coming together between the association and the corporate sponsors with the end goal of helping members. It, it feels a little bit as you're speaking like it, it should be common sense, right? It's almost like we're going back to sales 101 in the sense of how can you position something to somebody if you don't know what it is, the problem that you're trying to solve or what it is that they ultimately want? Otherwise, you're standing on stage and you're speaking to an audience, but that's not really how you sell something, right? I mean, you, you sell right. partnership by having a conversation like this, one-on-one. -on -one. What is it right. that Bruce wants, right? Because I can, I can tell you what I have, but if what I have doesn't solve right. the problem, then we're just wasting each other's time. Exactly. And we're talking about top-level partnerships here. So we're not talking about having deep engagements with dozens or, or hundreds of companies. It's who are the top-tier companies that are spending the most, either by several sponsorship a la carte opportunities during the year, have the biggest booth. Um, and, and one analogy that I sometimes use, use is, is with a caterer. So if I were to call a caterer and say, I'm scheduling a birthday party next month, can you help? The caterer wouldn't say... Yeah, we can provide sandwiches. We can provide fruit. We can. Pro the caterer doesn't know until they ask the questions. And the caterer, I'm sure, would have many questions. Who's coming to the party? Is it is it a birthday party for a five year old or an eighty five year old? Right. Are there any special dietary restrictions? Oh, by the Don't way, bring the Vienna sausages for the adult party. Right. Yes. Um, do you uh, do you need decorations with that? Do you need balloons? Do you need music? Do you need transportation? And those are the sorts of questions. And, and again, most good caterers would not jump in 
after asking two questions and say, oh, we have a special platter to offer you next month. You really need to ask the questions. So I think as that analogy plays out to the discussions we have with corporate partners, is having that discussion. And I find it's usually a 45-minute discussion. I've tried doing it in 30. It doesn't necessarily have to take an hour, but it's a good 45 minutes of dedicated time with the company to really start asking them, what are your overall business objectives? What are your marketing goals for the year? Do you want to reach a segment of our members? How do you think our members perceive your company now? How would you like them to perceive our members? Right. Um, how would you define as a company a a good sponsorship and and to try to focus on the company's overall objectives and not tactics. So if a company jumps in and says, oh, by the way, can we get a big booth? It's like, well, let's talk about your company's objectives. So right. why do you want a big booth? As a good marketing agency, maybe a big booth isn't the best solution. But if we can get the companies to answer the questions and the follow-up questions in terms of their objectives, then we as an association can then regroup as a team after the call and say, you know, based on what they're looking for and who they want to reach, here are some things we could do for them during the year. So if we go back to the company and say, okay, we understand these are your objectives. Did we hear you correctly? We've right. outlined four or five things we could do during the year together to achieve those objectives. And if that's based on an ROI formula, as the company most companies will have in the back of their mind, we need X number of new contracts. We need X number of new customers to um, make this sponsorship worthwhile. So if we can achieve that goal, then that helps us set a price point for the sponsorship. But how, I'm curious, how, how often do you get into that conversation and, and find out that what they were trying or intending to purchase just had really no, or wasn't going to lead them down the right path and actually end up suggesting something different or leading them a different direction in terms of how they spend their money? Yeah, good good question, Lucas. Years ago, when, when I was working at an association, we had one of our top corporate partners call me and they say, well, we just had a, a staff meeting. We talked to our marketing person on staff and we'd like to sponsor the key cards at your upcoming convention. I said, okay, well, let me check on that for you. I never wanted to say no. I said, let me check on that for you. And I checked with the, the VP of conferences on staff and she said, well, two things, Bruce. First of all, we have 9,000 hotel rooms in 15 hotels. She said, secondly, who usually sponsors the key cards in hotels and motels? It's often the pizza place or the sandwich place down the street. But she said, thirdly, which is most important and gets to your question, Lucas, who is the sponsor? They were a bank. What they needed to be successful, so when we got back and had the discussion about goals, what they needed to be successful was to be put in touch with the 30 or 40 member organizations, the biggest member organizations who are likely to need financing from that bank in the coming year. Yeah. So so we went back to the company, and again, I never like to say no. I said, you know, the key cards were an interesting idea. What if we put together two or three focus groups at the convention with a hand-picked group of members to get you FaceTime with 10, 15 people at a time in each of several focus groups? How would that work to put you in touch directly with the people, not 9,000 people at the convention, but with 40 or 50 people who you really want to talk to? And they said, wow, that's a great idea. Yeah. And the key cards never came up again. And just to play that out, the, the risk is even if we found a way to make the key cards work, I think it gets to your point, Lucas, we would have gotten to the end of the year and they would have said, that wasn't a very successful sponsorship. We didn't really achieve come back. No. But by helping them get in touch with and and position themselves as thought leaders, which is going to want to make them come back to your point. And, and that's where you can also present a two or three year option. 
right? Let, let's yep. talk about if this is successful for you and we continue this event or this series or what have you, um, why not do two or three years, right? Why not, why not sign them Absolutely. up for a multi-year opportunity and get them to engage? You know what you're going to get. You know it was successful. What's holding you back? Well, and I think that whether it's transitioning from kind of a la carte month to month or year long or year long to month to year, it's really about kind of random touch points at random times versus really building a marketing cadence during the year right. and then multi-year. So really, uh, you know, if if, if one of the, the uh, collaborative endeavors was something like research, well, of course, research, wow, we could do this research every year for the next three or four years and your company would be associated with that. So every year when the press release goes out, it's right. co-sponsored by company X, the major findings are such and such from the research. So, um, and similarly with, you know, a, a, a pattern of webinars or others on leadership where the company really becomes known for that area of expertise. Right. Yeah. Some people think of just poking on that uh, for a minute is research is I'm going to go out and find out what's happening in the landscape or the environment in our industry right now and what people think or where the where the dollars and the cents or the figures take you. But more impactful is how do those compare to last year's? And that takes also its own multi-year approach where you can you you can essentially position that research as an ongoing benchmarking of the industry where people want to come back year after year and look at you know this sort of the trend. Where's the trend? I, you can tell me what it looks like today in a vacuum, but some of that just isn't going to make sense to me unless you can tell me what happened last year or five years or fifty years ago, right? In our industry, then you can sort of draw a bigger picture and. And talk about um, you know what's what's happening, and then you can look ahead to see. That's the corp of information and program that I think people really want to be a part of. Yep. Well, and I think that similarly, Lucas, whether it's research or thought leadership around some other topic or initiative, and it can either be something uh, systemic to the role of the members around something to help them run their business, or it can be kind of tangential topics such as women in leadership, uh, mentorship programs for new folks in, in that field or profession, um, uh, something around DEI, so that that company becomes known on a multi-year basis as they are the go-to people with the expertise. And there is definitely the possibility that will lead to sales. It's not a guarantee. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I used to work with a very uh, savvy education director at an association, and she said, you know, what we really want to do with and, and for our corporate partners is help them educate to sell, not sell to educate. That's good. So if they want to sell to educate, they can get a bigger booth. They can buy more ads, which is fine, and we'll yeah. be glad to help them do that and position their booth in the right place and get their ads in the right place. But if they really want to educate to sell and different, and that becomes a differentiator, because the, consistently I found, and this goes back to, to when I was managing a sponsorship program in 2009, 2010, when the economy wasn't doing too well and we were looking for what are the true value propositions around sponsorship. And we identified it after a series of interviews with the corporate partners, the three primary reasons that company sponsor associations are, first of all, of course, business development. They want more customers. Sure. Secondly, is some sort of brand differentiation, not necessarily exclusivity. But if, if a marketing firm is a sponsor and there are 20 other marketing firms in the exhibit hall, what makes that year-long sponsor different than the other 20? Mm -hmm. And third is around thought leadership. 
And again, whether that's um, a, a core topic uh, based on what the members do every day or something related to one of these other topics like leadership or women in leadership or diversity um, or mentorship. Um, and, and it was interesting. I was having a call with a corporate partner just last week, and, and I was saying, well, so what, what drives your organization? Why do you sponsor? And he listed the same three things. Business <laughs> development, brand differentiation, thought leadership. So 12 years later, I'm still getting the same answer. So that's what really drives companies to want to sponsor. And it's those three things together. And I think that's also a win for the association. Because, again, if it's only business development, if it's only leads, if they only want to scan more badges, if they want to scan more badges, work with them to give them the big, the big, big best, biggest boost up front. Absolutely. And before everybody goes and throws away their sponsorship, you know, you mentioned the brand piece. We're going back to the key cards. That's a great opportunity. If you, we mentioned this before the show, which was if somebody has a new brand and that's what they're really trying to get out. Uh, hey, we have a new brand. We have great services. People know it. They just don't know our new brand. And so we're not looking necessarily as heavily on some of the other things, but we really want to get our name out there, right? We really want to get our new logo or our subtext, whatever it is, put it on the key cards. That's a great opportunity if you want to sponsor yep. the side of the escalator. Because people often ask, you know, what do people get out of that? Why would somebody just put their name up on the wall and 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 pay tens or tens of thousands of dollars just for their logo on the floor, wherever it is, right? Yep. Well, value is it really is in the eye of the beholder. This is why we need to really have these conversations ongoing with each company. And then I used to work with a top level corporate partner, and they always wanted to sponsor the um, name badge lanyards. Mm-hmm. They were getting $160,000 sponsor. But every year they said, Bruce, before you give it to anyone else or sell it to anyone else, call us. We will be the sponsor of the lanyards. And on site one year at the convention, one of the other sponsors comes up to me and whispers, Bruce, why do they always get stuck with the name badge lanyards? We think that's pretty <laughs> crappy. So because that's, that va- is a value to them. They find that to be useful. So we really can't second guess or know until we really have those conversations with companies about what is their value proposition, how do they define success? It is interesting. Yeah. There are those that come back every year and even at the event, you know, they, Hey, I want to sign up for next year. I want this same thing before anybody else grabs it because there's limited inventory. And um, yeah, if you don't have that conversation, how would you know that? And also might be a key indicator if it's got that much value, you know, how do you open up your inventory basket a little bit? So I think just by listening to that, um, you may get a better sense of demand in a specific area. Really, you have to have well, follow up. And th- that inventory basket is 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 helpful because you know, going back to my catering example, if all the caterer provided was sandwiches and wraps, that's pretty limiting as right. compared to wow, if they offered a buffet and plated meals. So I think similarly for associations to have top level corporate partnerships, to have more transactional conference sponsorships, to have opportunities for exhibits and advertising. Uh, to have an, possibly an affinity program. So based on always, again, members first, what do members need? What is the value to them? Um, and what does each company need? And if a company says, you know, we, we've never paid for a sponsorship, we really don't want to do that, but we'd be glad to talk about a revenue share and some affinity program, fine, let's, let's have that conversation. And then we just need to make sure that the programs are separate enough so that they're not encroaching on each other or competing with each other. Or that we're not selling, you know, those lanyards to somebody on the side for five thousand dollars, and then that right. hundred sixty thousand dollars sponsor said, "Wait a minute, how did they get those for five thousand? I'm paying one hundred and sixty. So right. a little balance in there. 
Uh, sure. But yeah, the more we can offer companies um, in alignment with what members need and the association's mission, the, the more successful the program will be. There, there's something else, Bruce, I, I've heard you say before, and we're just going to, I'm going to kind of couple two ideas. And, and one is having the conversation, right? Um, understanding, which we've just mentioned, understanding what it is their needs, having that that dialogue up front before something purchases. But how that, the, the reason I talk on that is I often see people put up a prospectus and they just allow people to purchase, right? You could go online and you could buy the sponsorship and they're happy to just take the sponsorship, send them the form, take the order, if you will, but you miss the opportunity. What you talked about earlier is, hey, do you want fries with that? Are there other things that would be of benefit to you? If I know you're ordering a cheeseburger and you just ordered it off the kiosk menu, you missed the opportunity for the person to say, Bruce, would you like fries with that? And mm-hmm. how I think about it, it makes me cringe how much lost opportunity or even just qualitative feedback from that initial conversation um, of asking what else could be of value to you. And if I don't know what your mission is or purpose is as a company for joining, I would never know to offer you fries or an apple pie or, or whatever it is that you're looking for. Absolutely. I was I was working with a client um, in 2019. We delivered our findings, uh, our recommendations on their new corporate partner program in February of 2020, just as the pandemic started. Right. And we thought, is, is this program dead in the water? And and they at that time had no year-long corporate partnerships. They had mostly five $7,000 conference sponsorships. We said, well, Pandemic or not, let's start making some calls. And we found a company. Um, so it was an association of nurses, and it was a company that had product and expertise in respiratory mm-hmm. people in hospitals. So pandemic, respiratory, seemed like a good uh, connection. We had we had the discussion with the company, and we moved them from that $7,000 conference sponsorship to a $50,000 year-long corporate partnership. And that's now oh. its third year. So just do the math of $7,000 times three versus $50,000 times three over the years. And as you were saying earlier, Lucas, this is now a three into the third year of the program of that company being positioned as a thought leader around respiratory um, to help nurses do their job better. And one other thing that's interesting about that story is uh, when we talked about one of the major drivers being business development, those nurses have no purchasing authority in the hospitals. They right. can influence purchasing, but the, the the sponsorship is mostly around helping the nurses do their jobs better, easier to provide better care, quality care for patients. And that's what the company is saying is a value to them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, I want to switch gears for a second. Um, you're obviously been a good time in the industry talking sponsorships. Do you know the, the industry in and out when it comes to sponsorship? I've got it. My cut my teeth years ago, as we've talked about in affinity programs. And, um, are there, are there trends that you're seeing one versus the other? Is there a right fit when, um, you know, what are your thoughts on, I, I, I yeah, I've heard you pare it down. Like we really want to work with the, the bigger, larger, more thoughtful sponsors. Is there a place for affinity programs? And, and how do you view that when you have that conversation with a, with an association? Yeah, there's definitely a place for uh, really whatever a company may or may need or may ask for. Again, with again with these big firewalls or, or barriers that needs to be within the 
the purview of the association's mission and the needs of its members. So there are times when companies will say, you know, we want to co-brand your website for the next six months, your association's website. Not going to happen. And it's fine to say to that company, you know, I, I think we can't quite come to agreement here. Uh, let, let's reconvene um, in, in six months and then start up the conversation again. So I think the more that associations can offer um, in terms of affinity programs, year-long sponsorships, uh, conference sponsorships, exhibits, ads, um, is in the best interest of the association. And with this approach of really um, performing like a marketing agency and the association recognizing, and sometimes I think, you know, I hear from associations, oh, we're a not-for-profit. We can't really go out there and market and endorse products and services. We're not talking about endorsements. We're not talking about anything that requires any tax, because sometimes folks talk about you right. tax. As long as it's a sponsorship and there's no direct pay to play, or, or as long as we're not talking about something like, well, if you um, go by the, the sponsor's booth and get this coupon, you'll get a 10% discount. If there's no direct inducement to purchase, if it's around education for members, there, there's, there's no UBIT tax there. So I think by having these conversations with companies, and I've talked to companies, and when we've had this conversation, I was talking to a company a number of years ago, and they interrupted me 10 minutes into the, the my exploratory conversation, and, and they say, can we just make a point? And I said, yeah. Um, and, and they said, we just want to let you know, we sponsor dozens of national and local associations. Nobody's ever asked us about our business goals. Huh. And I've heard that um continuously over the years, and because I often ask companies, I said, do you think the association understands your business goals? And they'll say, how would they know our business goals? They've never asked. So there is a disconnect here, again, going back to the this association CEO pointed out the association's members of the company's customers. If we have dozens or hundreds of members who are customers and buying product or service from that company, and we don't know what that company's goals are, and we don't know what that company's big challenges are, and we don't know what that company's perception is of where the marketplace is going, we're missing out on opportunities for our members. So this is not an either or, or we're just helping the company sell, or we're endorsing, or we're driving business to them. We're bringing the companies again inside the tent, because many of these companies are doing market research. They're, they know the trends. They also know what members are buying. The association has a lot of information, too, because we have staff out on the road and talking to members. But companies are also doing a lot of market research. And would the association um, do well to know what is the company seeing as the biggest challenge for members? What are the companies seeing as the biggest trends in this trade or profession? Because maybe that's an opportunity for the association to start doing some educational programming in that area. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's just another sort of call signal to an opportunity within that demand sector. And I, you know, as you're talking about sponsorships, I often sometimes think about uh, affinity programs and the conversation is the same, right? You, even if it was an affinity partner, you'd want to have that same conversation up front. What is your goal? Uh, is it to sell? Is it to get your, to get aligned with the industry? Uh, is it to educate? And what you'll find is they're open to creative um, solutions just as well. I mean, hey, hey, I just want my brand to be at the top. I want it to be with the association and the affinity relationship ongoing is is a structure, right? It's it's right. not a solution. It's just a structure on how you get there. And, and sponsorship uh, is, is very similar. As we've talked about, there's a lot of ways to do sponsorship. I would argue there might even be more ways to do sponsorship 
than there is a traditional affinity program. And what do you think about the concept of, of the sponsorship being the easier route? Would you agree with that? I think it, it really depends on the company and, and how the affinity program and the sponsorship program, program are structured. Um, I've seen associations where companies are, are participating in both programs. So they're part of the affinity program and the revenue share, and they are part of the sponsorship program, and the two leverage each other because the visibility and the the brand awareness that the and the, the thought leadership awareness that the company gets as being a corporate sponsor benefits their their product sales on the affinity program. So I think there's a role for both. And it's, um, you know, having these discussions with companies, you know, and, and these discussions on a regular basis. I, I remember talking to a company that had been a sponsor for several years and it was the beginning of the year and I scheduled the call for the exploratory call and discussion. And they said, well, didn't we just have this discussion last year? And I said, well, we did, but I have a few questions. And 10 minutes later, they said, Oh, by the way, we have a new product coming out in June. Yeah. That would probably be something we'd like members to know about and, you know, ties into another area of expertise that our company has. Um, so I think companies may not be aware of what the opportunities are. And I also often ask companies, you know, especially if they've had relatively transactional sponsorships with the association or they've just been part of the affinity program. And I'll say, would, would you like to be engaged with the association in other ways? And companies will often say, we don't know what the other opportunities are. We don't know what right. the association is doing, or we've scoured the website to, to look for the opportunities. Well, why should we have our customers scouring the website of the association to look for opportunities? Why shouldn't we be calling them and saying, well, what are your business needs? What are your marketing goals? We will come up with some opportunities um, and review those. Um, so companies need to change. I think though the one other barrier that that we sometimes face is companies have also been used to that very transactional approach after many decades. Right. So even when we call companies and say, oh, we have some questions for you, they'll say, can you just send me the prospectus and then we're good to go? Or as you said, Lucas, then they'll just check off a few boxes on the prospectus and say yeah. the credit card number. Um, so I, I try to do a little gentle pushback with the association and say, well, if we could just get 30, 40 minutes of your time to have a discussion, Maybe there's some other opportunities. Now, if they insist and they say, you know, all we do is exhibit booths, tell us what the floor plan is, we'll buy the booth, that's fine. We'd be glad to help you with that and and uh, take your money. But for the companies that say, back. right, yes, but for the companies that say, you know, yeah, let's let's talk a little more about this. Um, you know, that's where the real value is for the companies as well as the association and its members. Yeah, positioning and letting them know we have your best interests in mind. We're not trying to sell you something. We're really trying to sell you the right thing. And um, yes. Yeah. Agreed. Well, <clears throat> Bruce, we, we could talk all day. I'm sure we could. Uh, this is the point. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap us up here and, and leave a little bit on the table. Um, folks reach out to Bruce, um, ask him questions, talk to him, come find him. Um, at the end of each episode, as you know, Bruce, uh, Six Degrees of Association, is there somebody else out there that you think our audience would benefit from speaking to? Yeah, good good question, Lucas. Uh, somebody who I really admire and I've learned a lot from and really is, um, inspires me is Terry Carden. So some of you might have heard from her. She's the creator of, of Nandusa Palooza, um, which is really a, a non-dues revenue powerhouse around an annual conference, webinars, um, an e-newsletter. And I was at non-dues of Palooza last 
uh, September. And what I thought was not only Terry's expertise in putting together a really good program around um, non-dues revenue, but she's incredibly innovative. And what I saw in the audience was association execs who were taking notes not only on the content of the program around non-dues revenue, but on the way Terry put the meeting together, because folks were saying, I'm going to take these meeting strategies and how we do the breakouts and how we do the introductions to speakers. And we're going to do some of that, that creative uh, meeting presentation at our association. Um, so it's it, it's a great opportunity for those who are interested in learning more about non-dues revenue, um, as well as looking at a great model for association events. So I think Terry Carden at Non-Dues the Palooza is definitely a go-to person um, for a lot of us. Well, perfect. I know Terry a little bit. And I know that would be... Uh... Not only fun for audience, fun for me too. So Terry, um, we're coming for you. So thank you again, Bruce.